We've all heard the phrase, that kind of thing doesn't happen in our town. But here on Midwest Murder, we will shatter that false reality. In fact, it happens more often than we know. And sometimes the details of the most horrific crimes that happen in our neighborhoods are lost in the back pages of newspapers, forgotten on our news channels, and eventually erased over time. We're here to talk about murder, diving into some of the most controversial cases in Midwest history. This show will not shy away from the morbid details of these horrific events and the often ugly truths behind them. What you will hear is a detailed timeline of events, perspectives from those closely involved, and analysis by experts. What you will feel is the darkness that surrounds each story, the innocence lost by the victims, and hopefully the justice that was ultimately delivered. Don Palumbo. Jonah. Lanto. So I got a surprise for you. For me? Yeah. Well, it's not really. It's but I I literally had a nightmare about this show. Why? Well, first time ever. It was more of a daydream. But I really um, I thought that you popped a math test on me in the middle of the show, and the whole show was put on pause, and everybody was staring at me, waiting for me to solve this problem that I couldn't solve, and that was it. And it was a nightmare. Uh, why would you ever think that I, I would know. bring up math? I just like it's a thing. I think we have proven that you and I both like English and not it. math. Goes to show how scared I am of math, especially like you know, I can talk in front of people, but I can't math in front of people. Mathing is, it, that's always my, my panic when I do have to math in front of people and I have to break out a calculator for like 22 plus seven. Like <laughs> I'm panicking and I'm nervous. So I think that's 28. Don't it's judge not. me. Oh my gosh. Oh, yeah. It's always, yeah. yeah. So. It's, it's hard. That does sound horrible though. I don't want to, I would never do that. Big okay. scary. Anyway. All right. Well. Thank you all so much again for being with us tonight. We are coming at you live from our hometown in Minot, and we are at the legendary Atypical Brewery and Barrel Works. I got the name right. I've been here a million times and it always trips me up. We Not love sure them. sure why. And uh, we do. We love them so much, and we are so excited to be here with all of you. Take excellent care of, um, of the uh, beer tenders. They're amazing. So, and thanks for being here. Anyway, and uh, also thank you to those of you who have rated and reviewed our podcast. It uh, doesn't seem like much, but it goes so very far. And the feedback, the support that we receive um, from you guys, have uh, it's been absolutely fabulous. And, and we couldn't appreciate it more. So Jonah, tell everyone what people are saying about Midwest murder. Well, this one is from RubyAZ18, five-star, bestest podcast ever for shizzle-izzle. That's and and let me tell you, Ruby Az. That's the best intro to uh, a review I've ever had. So you're bestest in your own way. I listen to quite a few great podcasts, and this one is fabulous. I love the flashback factoids at the beginning of every podcast. I also love the in-depth review of the crimes, always presented with heart, precision, and with humor injected throughout to lighten the mood with regard to such a serious topic. I also love the complete respect given to the victims survivors, and family members that remain behind. Bam. Ruby AZ, thank you very thank much. You. That's, That's awesome so to hear. Thank you. Yeah, wonderful. This one from JKO912. Five stars. Absolutely obsessed. Thanks to a typical brewery, I heard about Midwest murder. I listen to it any, any chance I get. Even though I moved to the Midwest about five years ago, I'm still hooked. John, John, wow, who do am you, I? Do you know your name? <laughs> I can't believe I just did that. Hey, John. <laughs> Jonah and Don do a fantastic job. They are incredibly respectful to the victims of the crimes and definitely do their research. I enjoy the yearly recaps. I can't wait to go to a live episode someday. 
I hope you're you know. here in the audience with us somewhere or in a future show too. Yeah, thank yeah. you. And that's, that's so awesome. My, my number one goal or maybe my number one fear is to ever be disrespectful to any of the victims. And, uh, and I think we work really, really hard to, to make sure that we are not. What I like, what, what means a lot to me about this is people pointing out the research that we do. And I, I guess for me, I knew coming into this that there's two things we can control. We can control the quality of our audio and sound, and we can control the research that we put into the shows that we do. And it, it's, I'm very, very humbled and honored by that recognition and uh, a lot of gratitude. So thank you very much. We work hard at it. You can also buy us a hot dish now at www.buymeacoffee.com forward slash Midwest Murder. You can also support the show again at buymeacoffee.com forward slash Midwest Murder. Valentine's Day is coming up, Don. Well, hang on. But what do, what do, what, do people get for that? Like what happens? What do we use that, uh, that, that support for? Well, we use that support. So important stuff. Uh, it pays for our case documents. It pays for our gas to get places to get those case documents. Hell, in my case, it paid for, it'll pay for the hotel I had to get because I shouldn't have been traveling to go and acquire case documents. Recently, I got stranded in a North Dakota city. I'm not going to say where because it would reveal the case I'm doing. But nonetheless, I was stuck there and I, whoa. Scary. It's last I, week. I told you that I would have gone with you, or that yeah. I would have, that I would have driven. I mean, no, whatever. Gosh, no. I'm, that's I'm, that's why I'm glad you didn't <laughs> come know, with me because I would've, I would've that would have been scary. You. I would yeah. not have been able to handle it. Yeah. So all kinds of stuff like that. Yeah, keeps the keeps so the thank lights you. We, on. We appreciate it. So I've got for a, a Midwest murder first. Everybody, a poem. Oh God, it's going to be wonderful. It's a, the, we've never had one before, and it goes a little something like this: Roses are red, violets are blue. Don't let a wild pube wreck you. Valentine's Day is just around the corner, and our sponsors at Manscaped are here for you with the best tools to get your balls ready for the special occasion. This V-Day, it's time to join the 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped, the leaders in below-the-waist grooming. With our exclusive offer, you can go to manscaped.com and use code MIDWESTMURDER for 20% off plus free shipping. And Don, I don't think I need to remind you or anybody else how important clean balls are for Valentine's Day. So <sighs> Manscaped will get the job done for everybody, okay? You can get the performance package 4.0. It's just the thing every guy needs in their life to make each and every day a little more special, okay? I really, uh, I really enjoy how uncomfortable you can make me. Uh, and... You know, I'm not, I, I don't get uncomfortable by much, you know, and usually I'm the one making people uncomfortable. But, uh, you know, a, a, a poem, a Valentine's Day poem about a stray pube is, uh, that, that takes the cake. I'd also yeah. like to propose making February 13th a national holiday as National Shave Your Balls Day. All right. And yeah, it will never be easier if, unless you use the code Midwest Murder. At manscaped.com, you get 20% off. And free worldwide shipping. Yeah, free Mm -hmm. worldwide shipping. Boom. We love it. Thank you, Manscaped, for supporting us. I do. do. It's pretty awesome. All jokes aside, I use their products. They're excellent. Uh, They're they're mostly waterproof. Uh, Lawnmower 4.0, they're great. And apparently, your balls and your lady will thank you. It's true. Yeah. Okay. Let's move move on. Okay. Uh, But seriously, we do do appreciate that. So, all righty. I don't think that I've been to 1991 in Midwest murder days. Real days, yes, but Midwest murder days, no. So Another Midwest murder first. It is. It's Poetry just and firsts. 1991. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 
It is. So let's just say that 1991 was a year. And and buckle up because it's a it's a big one. And I'm not sure I don't I don't know what happened with aviation that year, but oh my gosh, there were a ridiculously high number of plane crashes. It was very weird as I was going through kind of the the highlights of the year. So it would be a lot to to mention. So yeah, it's I'm glad we've improved. Eileen Warnos, one of the only known female serial killers in modern times, confessed to killing six men. Four LAPD officers were indicted for the beating of Rodney King, U.S. President, the 12th actually. Zachary Taylor was exhumed after 141 years to investigate whether or not he died of arsenic poison poisoning. Wow. He didn't. Uh, serial killer Jeffrey Dahmer was arrested in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, after the remains of 11 men and boys were found. And it would also be discovered that he was involved in six additional murders. Okay, I thought that happened a lot earlier than 91. No, no. It was also a very big year for Nickelodeon. I'm probably selfishly pointing it out because this was my childhood, but I'll uh, I'll say they changed children's television to make it not about me. But The Adventures of Pete and Pete debuted, and if you know, you know. And Salute Your Shorts was on its heels. And if I may get a non-existent gem roll, Doug, Rugrats, and The Ren and Stimpy Show aired on Nicktoons. Well, that's a hell of a year. The first three ever. I know! I was so excited when I pointed that out. So also, selfishly pointing out, Beauty and the Beast, my most favorite Disney movie ever, was released. And so I think I think that 1991 was the year of dawn, similar to the summer of George in Seinfeld. <laughs> like it was, I mean, who knew that seven-year-old me would have such a great year that year? Who knew that seven-year-old you would grow up to be George Costanza? Like that's... I, I, you know what? I don't want to admit that there are similarities, but there are sometimes similarities, and that's horrifying. Well, um, I you... like I, I want to be more Elaine than any... But no, you know what? Actually... I don't know that I want to compare myself to any Seinfeld character. Say, it's, you can't be George unless you literally take the opposite of every good advice you ever hear in your life. So There was a time in my life. Okay. There was a time. Yep. There was a time. So Operation, also in 1991, Operation Desert Storm began. Clarence Thomas was nominated by George H.W. Bush as Supreme Court Justice, filling the vacancy of Thurgood Marshall. He would later be confirmed by the Senate 52 to 48. Sharon Pratt Dixon, the first African-American woman mayor of Washington, D.C., was sworn in. And the Soviet Union dissolved, giving independence to Estonia, Latvia, and Lithuania. Lithuania. That's a tough one. It's a in, It is. In Super Bowl 25, the Giants beat the Bills 20 to 19. And so, and I didn't actually look this up. Did um, that set off I'm, the I'm four years talking, of Bills' but, misery? Yes. But I, how many times did the Bills actually make it to the Super Bowl in the 90s? Four and consecutive. Then, was it four and consecutive? And they lost and they all lost, four. Yes. So. And yeah. And I'm a Cowboys fan, so 90s, those were the years. And uh yeah, I don't feel bad about that at all for them. If there are Bills fans here, I'm sorry. Very sorry, but not also. I was about to become a Bills fan if they won the Super Bowl this year. I need a new team, man. I'm a Dolphins fan, so I'm you know, look, I'm you, shopping. I'm actively shopping. If you have a team and you want to recruit new fans, I'm ready. Well, the Buccaneers are looking for a new quarterback, so. Oof. Anyway, the uh, in the NHL, Penguins beat the Minnesota North Stars, winning their first Stanley Cup. And if you ever want to fire me up and discuss at length, and I mean at length, how I feel about the North, Minnesota North Stars moving to Dallas and becoming the Dallas Stars. I would love to chat about it. I the hate si- sidebar, I hate find on after the show. I hate them. And I hate the wild just because. That's, anyway. I know. I, yeah, I just heard someone scoff and I will, I will take you on and I will win that argument. <laughs> the, uh, the Minnesota Twins beat the Braves in the World Series. And Magic Johnson, point guard for the LA Lakers, announced that he was HIV positive, which was major sports and, of course, headline news. Queen frontman Freddie Mercury died from complications of AIDS at 45, only one day after publicly announcing his diagnosis. And at the end of 1991, over the 25th and 26th of December, the president of the Soviet Union, it's funny, it changed it to 
Michael, but Mikhail Ber- Gorbachev. And I always want to say Mikhail Baryshnikov, who was the, the ballet guy, not, not Gorbachev. Anyway, resigned. Yeah, have, I was, I was seven in 91. Okay. Very different, very things. different things. Um, he resigned, which meant the dissolution of the Soviet Union and the official end of the Cold War. So, so we ended the year on a good note. Yeah. The 91, 91. was, it I mean, finished on a good note. It was a big year, big year. I was most excited about, most excited about Cartoons. Nickelodeon. Yeah. All right. So it's also been a while since I've been back to uh, North Dakota for Midwest murder cases. So we we kind of took a break. If you caught one of our posts on Instagram and, and Facebook, uh, on just social media, you we did where in the Midwest has Midwest murder been? And we used a little hot dish, a hot dish uh, dish, I guess, if you will. And we hung out a lot in North Dakota. So we're trying to hit the other states. And, and But I'm, I'm back. I'm, I'm back for tonight. Our one conclusion that we realized after that that little graph is that the Midwest needs more hot dish, less murder. Uh, I would, I would agree with that. I, it's a, it's, although I have issues sometimes with hot dishes, but I am chatty today. Okay. All right. Well, so we are going to Powers Lake and Powers Lake is your average small farming town. And I'm pretty sure I say that about every small town I talk about, but it's, I keep repeating it because it's true. Today's population in Powers Lake is around 285, which was down from 408 in the 1990 census. So just a year before our story happened. So like many, many other small Midwest farming towns, there are a handful of, of businesses that keep the locals local enough. And of course, that includes the grain elevator. And the Senex or Farmers Union gas station is on the edge of town as one of the only gas stops for just a few miles. And in a town of that size, it won't take you very long to find Main Street because you basically just stumble upon it. And certainly not long to root out the three bars or five churches. There it is. Because that's just what we do, right? Yep. Bars and churches. So, so born in 1984, Jennifer and Jessica Peterson were adorable six-year-old twins born to Bradley and Paula Peterson. By 1991, they were little brunette girls with shoulder-length hair, curled under, fitting of the time and style. They lived with their parents in a rented home in Turtle Lake, and by this time, the marriage of Bradley and Paula were, it was definitely on the rocks. So on Easter weekend, the evening of March 30th to be exact, Damien Bredding, a 16-year-old boy from the area, was asked to babysit. And according to court documents and evidence, Paula left her family's home at about 7 p.m. and drove to Tioga to meet a man that was not her husband. Again, they were on the rocks. By 9 p.m., Bradley had put the girls to bed and watched TV until just after 10. When Bredding showed up, he was showing up to, to babysit so that Bradley could go out for his time on Easter weekend. So from there, Bradley walked the short distance on this unseasonably warm evening and also under a full moon. So the sky was bright, and uh, he walked from the house to one of the bars in town and stayed until closing, back when the bars closed at 1. I'm getting old, and they are open until 2. And it's very weird. Heck, it might have been midnight back then. Who knows? It was 1. Okay. I can, I can court documents say it was 1. Perfect. Okay. Arriving home just after 1 a.m., he saw the girls asleep in a bedroom, or in their bedroom on the main floor of their house. And Bredding, of course, was there, and Bradley told him that he wouldn't be able to pay him until Monday when Paula returned from Tioga. So Bredding left, and Bradley basically fell asleep on the couch in front of the living room TV. We've we've all been there. It wasn't long after, Bradley woke up to noises in the house. And Bradley described it as, quote, Well, I remember hearing some kind of noise around the house, and I must have been sleeping or something, and sort of creaking, floor creaking. I thought it must be out in the kitchen. Then I thought I heard a liquid pouring, and the next thing I knew there was sort of a little explosion. A whoosh, and that must have been what woke me up completely. Then I heard the back door slam to our house. End quote. So he said he said he jumped up and heard, quote, smoke so thick I couldn't even breathe or see anything at all in the house. He thought he heard one one of the girls calling for help. And he quote, yelled to them to run to me, and I had and I 
had tried to head in that direction, but my stocking on my foot started burning right when I took one step that way and the heat was too intense. I couldn't breathe at all or see anything. He then fell to the floor to try and crawl to the front door. He beat on it to open it and broke his hand in the process. That time he managed to run across the street to his neighbors, Daniel and Vicky, asking them to call the fire department. And at approximately 2 a.m., Daniel went to the Peterson house to see if he could help while Vicky called the fire department. She looked out the window and noticed Damien Bredding, the babysitter, standing in the front yard of the burning house. Vicky's daughter Bernadette, and also a classmate of Damien's, looked out the same window and noticed him talking to her stepfather Daniel. They both noticed Bredding point to the house to the same bedroom window that the girls were sleeping in. At that time, then at about 2.04 a.m., the siren started ringing and Bredding made a beeline south in the direction of the fire hall. So in small towns, the firefighters and ambulance crew are typically volunteers. It's just how how it is. And the crews in Powers Lake were no different. Volunteer firefighter Zeke Isaacson was in front of the house shortly after the alarm sounded. So we're talking maybe a couple minutes, right? So 206, 207, 208. He entered the house with his equipment and in the dark, smoky, extraordinarily hot house. He used his flashlight and was only able to see six or seven inches in front of him as he looked for the twin girls. And as soon as he found them, he carried them to a waiting ambulance that was waiting to get them to Tioga, which was just a short 23 miles away. Wow, that's harrowing so far. Firefighters were able to extinguish the blaze with about 200 gallons of water. So not a lot. It, and with the uh, and while they did that, the ambulance crew attempted to revive the girls on the way. Sadly, both six-year-old girls, Jennifer and Jessica, were pronounced dead at the Tioga Hospital. Autopsies would later show they both died of carbon monoxide asphyxiation due to smoke inhalation. And things at the extinguished house fire or extinguished fire didn't didn't seem right. Firefighter Zeke noticed how extremely hot the blaze was, and not exactly like a regular fire. Fire had been mostly contained in the living room because it only took you know 200 gallons to uh, to extinguish. And to Zeke, it looked as though the fire started on a cot in the same room. That is a very minuscule amount of water to put yeah. out a fire. So yeah, like clearly got in a shower. Right, it's a good bath right there. Right. So shortly after 5 a.m., shortly after 5 a.m., Burke County Deputy Sheriff Tad Pritchett pulled into Powers Lake. And while and one thing you have to remember is, you know, in these in these counties, especially with the smaller towns, you know, the deputies are likely placed all over. You know, Powers Lake, you know, no police department at that point. You know, so it was. It would not be uncommon for there to no for no. the closest sheriff to be an hour or more yeah. away. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. So while taking well, Deputy uh, Pritchett took the statement from the Osterbrinks. Those are the, the neighbors across the street. They shared with him that they saw Bredding at the fire. And hearing that, it was obvious he would need to speak with that 16-year-old babysitter. At the same time, Deputy Pritchett was heading to Bredding's residence. Firefighter Zeke, I gave him that name. It feels right. I like, I like the name Zeke. Uh, he requested the assistance of the state fire marshal because obviously they had two bodies. And, you know, making it even more sad is they were six-year-old children. And an incredible amount of smoke and heat for such a small fire. Deputy Pritchett arrived at Bredding's residence a little after 5.30 a.m., he was greeted by who he thought to be Bredding's stepfather, who then called the 16-year-old to the kitchen table. According to Pritchett, quote, I asked if he'd been babysitting that evening, and he said that he had been at the Peterson house. And I said, you know, the girls didn't survive the fire. And he said, yes, that's what I heard, end quote. So during the investigation of the burnt house, an obvious crime scene, Fire Marshal Raymond Lambert agreed the fire was anything but an accident. The next day, Marshal Lambert and Deputy William Look interviewed Bredding, this time with his mother. Bredding's story didn't change much from Bradley Peterson's. They kind of said the same thing. Redding said he got home. He got to the Peterson home at 10.06 p.m. And as their father said, the girls were already sleeping. He said the girls stayed asleep the entire time Bradley was gone. And at 1.30 a.m., when Bradley came home, he went straight home and stayed there, asleep in bed, until Deputy Pritchard arrived. He then said something a little interesting. Redding mentioned to the investigators that he knew the area where the fire started, 
and that a person at the scene was, quote, extremely drunk. He said that another firefighter, Larry Gullickson, told him about the fire. But Larry didn't recall talking to Breading on Sunday or Monday. A few days later, on April 4th and 5th, the Bureau of Criminal Investigation, also known as the BCI, interviewed Breading for now the third time, again with his mom. So he repeated the same story that he had told investigators on April 1st. But this time, investigators pushed just a little harder. And BCI agent Dallas Carlson told Breading that he had been seen at the fire and apparently feeling stuck or maybe caught. And according to Agent Carlson, he, quote, no longer denied being there, but he told us that he was probably walking in his sleep if he was there. Oh, that's, yeah, likely. It's a likely one. Definitely. Uh, People, I mean, people absolutely sleepwalk, but typically I feel like a fire would. Yes. Okay. So when agents asked Bredding what he thought would happen if he was honest about the fire, Bredding said he was afraid of getting sent away. He then asked for an attorney, which, of course, ended the questioning. So that didn't stop the case from moving forward, and investigators were able to gather enough evidence to charge 16-year-old Damian Bredding with two counts of murder for six-year-old twins Jessica and Jennifer Peterson, and one count of the attempted murder of Bradley Peterson. It's a lot. Wow. So when they asked uh, what, what finally came out, is and the only thing that they could figure is that he was upset about not being paid until Monday. That potential motive, he wasn't That's getting paid until Monday. until Monday. So I'm I'm going to burn the house down. Which, you know, seems Was he unfairly targeted because his name is Damien? Just throwing it out there, man. That I mean, name that name had a bad rap back then. It it really did, and actually it still does. I it, mean I I can't I poor poor kids. I don't know. That was a horrible movie. But so remember, Breading at this time was 16. And so because of the severity of the crimes, he was charged as an adult. Important to note that law has since changed in North Dakota, following another case we covered back in episode two, Nugabauer. Nugabauer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So in this case, about five years after we had a state crime lab. So we're still very new at, at processing all of that. Yes. Yep. Yep. Big time. So after pleading not guilty, to all charges in January of 1992, Damien and his lawyer, mine attorney, Carl Flagstad, tried a few different ways to shake things up. They wanted a change of venue, but that was denied. So they even pulled the the, the Burke County area to see how, what's the word I'm looking for? Well, um, you've, got a, you've got a community of 400 people. At that time. At mm-hmm. that time. Yep. And, and you're going to try someone for the potential murder of two just young, darling children. That'd be a right. tough venue that's gonna be a tough that's gonna be a tough case anywhere i'm, I'm I mean, surprised i'm surprised they didn't grant a, a switch well uh after they pulled everything um they i mean because you know defense uh, and i i get it i probably would have too you know since i'm not an attorney uh they um they thought that the that the small town was going to be too biased and so it's you know and i mean again in that small community but you know you could be in a community of la and it'd be too biased you know so it's it's really tough so when then, after Breading had been moved to adult court, they requested a new judge claiming the current judge, Judge John Carrion, Carrion was too familiar with Breading's case. So they're, they're trying everything. And I mean, it's, you know, how many Hail Mary passes can you, can you take? None of them worked. And so the trial could not be delayed any longer. And in September of 1992, about a year and a half after the, the murderous fire, Damien Breading's trial began. So he was now 18 at this point, And through the entire time, Breading maintained his innocence. And the, at that point, you know, thinking that, of course, you have one, one side of things that, that think that the fire was started by, you know, or arson. And uh, the defense claimed that a discarded lit cigarette was the cause of the fire. Well, at this point, I'm, I'm waiting for it to come out, but I still don't, I don't have a lot of evidence against Breading. He was there after the murder and he babysat the kids. So at this point, they're 
potentially putting this young man through this because he was one of three people at the house at the end of the night. And so at this point, you have you have defense. You have the defense uh, saying that it was the lit cigarette of the careless. I father. know. I know people who have burned their houses down because right. they fell asleep with a cigarette or a burnt pizza. Yes. I mean, it's it. it you know, it happens. Um, and so when. The well, we'll get in. We'll get into that once we once we go through at this this point. But um, because it became a a shit show, uh, hotly it, it disputed. Yeah, yeah, okay. absolutely. And it 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 brought in this this trial has been used as case law many a times. So so state fire marshal Lambert was the expert witness for the prosecution. So he testified that he thought the fire had been set with the use of an accelerant on the cot, just as firefighter Zeke thought. Lambert said a lit cigarette would have burned at a much slower pace and wouldn't have caused the insane heat in the short amount of time that the house was on fire. So according to testimony, and this is a direct quote from the court documents, a normal burning pattern would be in a V-shape, but this pattern was not in a V-shape, which is also consistent, consistent with the presence of an accelerant. He noticed a very distinct alligatoring in the hardwood floor and said that an accelerant would cause this effect. He estimated the fire started at approximately 1.45 a.m. and burned about 15 minutes, dying down when firefighters arrived. Although no liquid container for carrying an accelerant was found at or near the house, and laboratory analysis of material from the fire scene contained no evidence of liquid accelerant, Lambert testified the accelerant could have been totally consumed by the fire, end quote. Well, I'd like to speculate why didn't... Sometimes these accelerants are found on somebody's shoes, some sort of trace evidence on clothing. I know we're still... Did you search his house? Right. Did, did you, they search did the do... kids' clothes? Did they search the kids' house? Right. But again, some of these... it's ninety. It's 92. Right. And we're so still very new. We're still very new at that at... point. So the star defense witness for the defense was John Woodland, who was a fire investigator with years of experience under his belt. And in September of 1991 is when he conducted his investigation. So Woodland agreed that the fire started near the cot, but did not agree that the fire was set with a liquid accelerant. So he believed it was an accidental fire and that it wasn't particularly hot and most likely burned at a normal temperature. So Jonah, tell me, um, tell me what your thoughts are on hypnosis. And yes, I'm putting you on the spot. Well, we just went through an episode where a dude globetrotted hypnotizing women with a sacred guitar that he has. So my thoughts on hypnosis are that it's a, it's a pretty intense thing. And it, I, I think it's, it's real. I think people are, are probably subjected to be compelled by forms of hypnosis. I don't know that it would work on everybody, but I, I think to an extent you okay. can pull information out of somebody with hypnosis. So how do you feel about, how do you feel about them using it in? A court document or a court case. I don't know. Like, is it is it helping somebody's innocence or their guilt? Uh, like, we it's so it's so funny. And all in so many of these cases, they consult the psychic. You know, well, if they're missing a body somewhere, right? How many cases do you you, you come across where? Well, let's 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 go and ask the psychic if they know where this body might be. And so people buy into whatever might get them to what their end belief is. Yeah, I, yeah, I can see that. Well, they used hypnosis um, on Bradley Peterson. The father. They being? Well, the Bradley Peterson underwent hypnosis to find out exactly what he didn't or what he wasn't able to, to pull up or, or recall. So just to be clear, like an independent hypnotic yep. agent yep. came in here. Yes. As far as, as far as I can tell, according to court documents. Independent yeah. hypnotic yep. agent. Yep. Yep. Okay. So he, he testified at trial. You know, and, and we, you know, we went through this as far as, you know, waking up to the sound of liquid pouring and, and with the, the small explosion. But prior to the trial, Peterson, Bradley, he went through a, a hypnosis session. So he was hypnotized to help him remember. And so the issue was that was never never brought up 
But so it, it brought up a lot of a lot of a lot of issues as far as that. And so let me let me pull this up here. Would you rather be hypnotized or take the lie detector? We're going to find out the truth. Well, I mean, I think the lie detector, that thing scares me. I don't, I don't, I don't want to do that. But anyway, so it was, it was, it was admissible, Peterson's testimony. And that's how he was able to come up with all of that information. And so the, the argument was that the testimony should be discredited because of the, the actual hypnosis session. So all of everything that he remembered they thought the, the defense argued that it should be discredited because it was under hypnosis and therefore was not admissible. wasn't wasn't credible. I agree with the defense here. Really? I, I think like, yes, if you testify to having some memory under hypnosis, I I don't know. It's it's not scientific. It, it's it, like I want to believe that yes, people can be hypnotized, but for me, the hypnosis is you being subjected to my compelling statements, right? Like I am perhaps leading on. I would be. I would believe the person who is controlling the hypnotic sequence is also controlling the potential of that narrative. So for me, if I was in that jury, it would very much. I would have a lot of doubt on a testimony that was given while somebody was under hypnosis. You couldn't give this in the same night when you when you were interviewed by police or the next day you you needed some special snake charmer to bring the truth out of you. I just well, I, I'm not was, into but it. But it was traumatic. What if it was, you know, when people under trauma typically or, or can, you know, block something, you know, block those those traumatic events out. So sometimes that's the only way of of bringing it out or through therapy, any I mean any type. So Naturally, I mean, through through therapy, but just so you're I, saying, like, so you're I'm, saying they're completely different. It it doesn't feel right to me. No, it it doesn't. It doesn't. It just there's something there's something just off about that for me. Why are you? I mean, are I'm you? Not sure. I'm not I'm trying not to draw a line in the sand here, but like for me, I, mean, I feel I, like you are. I feel like you are. But I, but I, I'm, I'm not. We're sure. always on being, the same just, team, Don. We, we always, even are. if we don't agree. I'm just. I'm, the world needs more of that. I'm just being argumentative. So I, I, I mean, I think. There's a place, and it has been, I mean, and they they cited case law actually for it. I mean, so they they used it, and it was it was admissible. And they the judge ruled that the jury would not be told about it because they felt that it would either give too much weight or take away the credibility. So they just said that that's how it was. So it was not used ultimately. Was, the, in the court. testimony was used, oh, but the me, jury okay. was not told that it came from what? hypnosis. Oh. Well, that's dirty. That's a little dirty. That I have to agree with. Like that, I that that I have to agree with. I feel like that is. Um, you're just asking for an appeal at that point. If okay. you, you know, if you if you uh, if you ask me. So anyway, they they continued on with trial, and they brought they brought forth. It, it lasted about a couple of weeks, and they brought forward the Larry Gullickson. They brought forward Zeke, and everybody could place him there. And so the fact that he was lying and the, the dead giveaway that, or, or the, I guess the most damning circumstantial evidence on Damien Bredding was the fact that he knew where the fire started. So it's circumstantial. Right. But, but he, he, we've all seen how that Well, how he, that he revealed intimate knowledge of right. the case without so, ever being told or that information being public. So that was the thing for me. It, it always comes back to the evidence too. If There's so many things that 
get convicted circumstantially. And I just, sure. I, I want to see a hard, solid, there's motive and there's even trace evidence linking or connecting somebody. And to this point. But what if you, what if, uh, what if you can't, I mean, so at this point they have the evi- evidence, they, have, they have the, they have the testimony of, of the fire marshal, state fire marshal, and they have the, you know, so they have the burn pattern. They have all of that. They have Damien Bredding knowing Inside knowledge. That's of the where best thing they have. That's that's the best thing they have. The, the defense because, has a counter then, expert. A counter expert. You know, but th- that's that's the other weird thing with expertise is depending on the situation, you can almost always find an expert with a different opinion from your well, expert. Well, and you that, can, and, that, I mean, and that's what they did here. So they well, do they do have an opposing expert. But if you have, I mean, if you have the expert talking about the burn pattern and, you know, burning at a much slower, you have the the testimony of the fireman or firefighter, pardon me, the firefighter talking about how much hotter it is. I mean, so it wasn't his first fire, you know, and it was burning at an incredible rate. And then they were able to, they were able to extinguish it right away. Very quickly. You know, it's, I mean, so to me, you know, I'm going to lean more towards the state fire marshal on that one you know, since I am a fire expert, but it's, you know, it just, it, but then you, you also have witnesses corroborating and, and, and that, Getting that, placed that, that he the was there. I mean, that was yeah. huge. And yeah. then him denying that he was, you know, so, I mean, he's, he's a 16 year old kid. He flip flops on his story mm-hmm, a little bit. Exactly. Exactly. So on Tuesday, September 8th, 1992, after a little over a week of arguments, Redding's trial ended, sending jurors to deliberate just after 6 PM. And by midnight, they still had not reached a verdict. So the next morning, and at this point, I'm I'm like waiting. It's like, oh my gosh, how long did it take? The next morning, Wednesday, September 9th, jurors came back and had reached a verdict within an hour of starting deliberations. What do you think? I'm thinking the kid gets placed there and was, was wishy-washy. I'm thinking he's probably guilty. Guilty on all counts. Yep. So remember, that was the, that was for the murder of both Jennifer and Jessica and the attempted murder and the attempted, yep. of Bradley. So much of the 90s were filled with two different appeals. And so the first one, of course, so they bring up the hypnosis and they quote, they quote case, case law, which of course, on something like that, of course he would. Then he also, you know, his, he claimed that his defense was inept. And the first appeal was, of course, he claimed that Flagstad was inept. Yes. How that he, dare that he? He did not. That he did, well, it's, it's always the, it's always the one thing you're going to say. Yeah, you gotta, mean, well, you got to try something. Exactly. So that one, of course, was not heard and uh, or were denied. So Breading appealed his appeal, claiming bias towards him and requested a, a new trial. And in the opinion denying his second appeal, the majority points out that no one from Powers Lake, quote, presumably where most of the gossip occurred, sat on the jury, end quote. And it continues by Breading's argument is essentially that the rumor, gossip, and speculation, quote, small community living generates as a matter of course, should have been sufficient alone to support his notion. Of a relocation? Yes. So, however, if we were to accept this argument, a change of venue would be required in every serious criminal prosecution in a rural, sparsely populated country. This is not the law. End quote. So I I kind of found that interesting. That That one really stuck out to me because... It's logical. It is. It is. Absolutely. So interestingly enough, this appeal of Damien Bredding was used as a cited case regarding the change of venue in the Erickson case, which, of course, if I recall, they did not get, right? Right. Yeah. Which, was that episode 14? Yep. uh, 13. 13. Yeah, the Brian Erickson case, episode 13. So 
Bredding and his new lawyer, Janet Holter Zander of Williston, also made the claim that Carl Flagstead, his original trial attorney, failed to bring up the hypnosis of the twin girl's father. That, of course, didn't fly with the Supreme Court either. Justice William Newman said, quote, an unsuccessful trial strategy does not make defense counsel's assistance defective, and we will not second-guess counsel's defense strategy through the distortion effects of hindsight, end quote. Okay. I feel like that was a mic drop. Yeah, that's I think, fair. I think that would be fun as a justice, just to be like, nope, this is my opinion. It seems fun. So he was sentenced to 30 years and 30 years he would serve. But that's not all. So in 2012, Damien Bredding was getting ready to be released after fulfilling his sentence. Typically, an inmate's file is reviewed by authorities if they are going to be on probation or if they're getting paroled. And they just, authorities just happened to pull Bredding's inmate file, even though he wouldn't be paroled or on probation. So he had no paper on him after release. He served his 30 years. That was it. And what they will found will blow your mind. In his file, they found an internal North Dakota Penitentiary Disciplinary Report, or write-up, for downloading child pornography in 2002. It's 2012. What? He had downloaded child pornography while working at Rough Rider Industries, which is the state pen's manufacturing operation. That makes my freaking skin crawl. And according to the report, the illegal pornography wasn't found until 2004. The discipline that was handed to Bredding was simply, this, this part is insane, simply being docked a month's pay, 20 days of TV, and restricted to his room, or his cell, if you will, for 30 days. They basically said, you're grounded. Like, that's what they said. Th- th- you're, you're grounded for being this sick pervert with child porn. Uh, uh, yeah. And so, 10 years after the fact. After he burned years, two young twins. 30 years after he was convicted for murdering two twin girls, he was given, he was grounded for child pornography. You, but it, you just have to wonder if there's just, something yeah. deeper there with, with him when you come up with a child porn after you, you murdered two, two kids, two young girls when they were six. And you were 16. So there, there is. I guess I mean, some sort love of to evil. That. Well, well, right, yeah. but that, that that's. Yeah. So when um, the oh, this part this part gets me. So the former warden, who is now retired, Tim Schutzel, he retired in 2010. When he was asked why he didn't alert authorities about the child pornography, he said it was because he was unhappy with the way the state handled any of the crimes at the prison. So when you're in prison and you murder somebody, you download some child porn, you you break the law in any way, you're still breaking the law. And so because he was pissed about the way the state handled them, he just decided, I'm going to handle this and I'm going to ground this little boy who was now 38 at the time. I, I, that, and that begs the curiosity of just how bad was this penal system within the North Dakota penitentiary system where you've got a warden that doesn't want to attempt to prosecute one of his inmates for something that is awful and disgusting. And and really, uh, tragically, 20 years ago, I mean, we're probably still not taking that seriously enough today, let alone 20 years ago from some old school, very old school mindset that Mm -hmm. said, oh, that's that's just uncle whoever. He's kind of weird. Well, that uncle whoever is the guy that's looking at child pornography and is freaking dangerous. Yeah. So- the former warden, again, Timothy Schutzel, 
wrote in a letter and admitted in a letter to the federal court that he purposely declined to alert authorities. So he admitted boldly that. Wow. And so his decision was to keep it, you know, within within the prison Making was actually a decisions. violation of federal law. Yeah, of course. So when Schutzel was asked about this into in shortly after this came to light in 2010, and there's no way I can I cannot quote this, he said, quote, I'm retired. I'm out of it. End quote. Well, I washed my hands of that one. Yeah. Wow. So just he he could basically the guy could give two shits about what had happened. So they decided to investigate further, actually, and discovered that for about six months in 2002, so during the time that Breading was downloading this stuff, inmates who, who were working at Rough Rider Industries had access to a computer within the shop and, quote, were inadvertently allowed unfiltered access to the internet, end quote. That's a, that's, that's a condition of some individuals' bails and bonds and parole probation and so whoops i mean i realize it's 2002 is it, like you know the birth is. of the internet but there's a like, ton of technological oopsie. ignorance at that time too. there, there was like I, yeah there was but it's i mean the, the, the I'm person in charge of that place that left that computer open probably didn't hardly know how the computer worked right like the internet there wasn't even youtube then like it's just such a it doesn't make it okay but like the fact that it happened in 2002 in in some manufacturing plant rough rider industries which was uh, no, you know, in, the, in the pen. I didn't even know how the internet worked. I mean, I was I was a senior of in high school in 2002, and I knew how the internet worked. Right. Al Gore invented it. Kids always, kids always. <laughs> the youth always knows better how the technology of today works. That, that that's generally how it goes. But you push forward to somebody who was 40. When I was using the internet, and, and my parents were 40. It was, it was, they might, you might as well have asked my mom to speak Greek so much as tell her to like, hey, email something. That hasn't changed. So <laughs> you, you know what? You're just saying that because your mom's not here to defend herself. That's that's not very nice. But I mean, I, I get that. I get that. And I always I always try to keep myself, you know, like put myself into the map and try to remember that, right? But again, Still it's shocking. 2002. It's, yeah. it's ridiculous. So Breading, the day that he was supposed to be released, was arrested for charges of possessing child pornography. Wow. They, he was actually going to make his release and this kept well, him. Well, what they typically do is like... I mean, you know what's coming. Right. You know? So it's, yeah. So he, Redding pleaded guilty that year. And the, the actual charge was receipt of materials involving the sexual exploitation of minors. He was given 33 month prison term and 10 years of supervised release. According to Assistant U.S. Attorney Gary DeLorme, quote, Redding, as an offender, is a person who viewed the sexual exploitation of children has a history of sexually related misconduct and admittedly touched children before. Oh, man. Oh, that... Do with that what you will. <sighs> That's a really big, big feel-bad moment at the end there because that, you know what that means. Especially it... when authorities can only speculate that he started the fire because he was angry and not being paid immediately. So, it's infuriating. again, do, do with that information what you will. I, I mean, it's, I mean, I can't make... I'm not going to make a speculation there or anything like that because you just don't know. But no, but the fact he, that the clearly fact at some that, point while he was in prison in group or something, he has he has admitted sure. to yeah. touching children at some point in his life, right. and he was in prison basically from the age of 16 forward. So, so with that, that quote continues. Therefore, Breading will always be a risk to the children of whatever community he resides in. 
and he was and I, I apologize, I think I misspoke, but he was, they, they asked for him to be sentenced to 33 months in prison and 10 years of supervised release. He was actually sentenced to 27 months in prison and three years of supervised release. And the, uh, the, the former prison warden was essentially banned from the state prison property because of his lack of action and complete disregard for the law and victims. A little little drop of justice there at the end, I suppose. But I, I guess I mean it's it still feels it still feels Icky. weird. It feels very very weird. So Bradley Peterson eventually moved to Chaska, Minnesota, and passed away in December 2011 at the Minneapolis VA hospital hospital after a two and a half year cancer battle. I worked really hard on finding what happened to their mom, and I don't know. Thank you for coming full circle on that because it's she is she's not been mentioned. pretty strangely absent right. from the so in, story in which in all her of two the, beautiful young babies died. Right, she was in Tioga, and it, I mean the way that the court documents make her sound that she's just some floozy in Tioga who wasn't there, and you know insert mom guilt. Well, that's that's not okay, you know, just because yeah. her marriage was on the rocks, but nobody thinks that that's going to happen to you know to your family when you're gone. But it's in stories. all of in all of the court documents, they don't talk about when she was notified, where she was. They really they really don't mention that at all. So it makes me sad. It, it makes me sad. It makes me sad. And this is this is there's a lot of, I think, shade cast at modern parents for being helicopter parents. And for better or worse, it's happening. But this this is one of those stories that makes hyper vigilant parents. And well, of course, just, and, it, and it was in the '90s, right, when all of that shit was happening, right? And and too much of it was too, happening, exactly. And I mean, this was before before we had a state, you know, sex offender registration. This is before you know we had any of that, and it's just it's just very sad. <laughs> so, in the the last bit of information I will leave you with is in April of 2021. Damien Bredding, who had is, was now off of supervised probation and, of course, out of the pen was arrested for additional charges. What? Yeah. They let him out and he got arrested no. again? Yeah, child pornography. He again. actually got out? Yes. And that of course is still is still pending. That hasn't that's not been wrapped up yet to my to my knowledge from what I can see. So, my guess is he's he would plead guilty though. I just wave so after fun. wave yeah. of discomfort and I know. and chills. I maybe shouldn't have done it, this one live. Sorry guys. I that's it was icky. Anyway, resources for today. Bismarck Tribune, but primarily court documents from the North Dakota court document place. Yeah. How about that? How about that? Well, thanks again to everyone who has taken the time to review our show on iTunes. You can also review us now on Spotify. Take a quick moment. iTunes or Spotify, drop us a five star. We really do appreciate that support. And remember, you can get 20% off and free shipping with the code MidwestMurder at Manscaped.com. All your manly grooming needs can be fulfilled. That's 20% off with free shipping at Manscaped.com and use the code MidwestMurder. Join Cupid and shoot your arrow with Manscaped. This Valentine's Day. Oh my gosh. Okay. Wow. That's how we're ending this? Cool. Okay. Nice. We gotta end All with right. a little levity there. <laughs>